0: Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. I was telling somebody that the 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 lonely at the top thing is real. <laughs> you know, it, it's the first time in your career that you don't have a peer, right? And so um, that 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 creates some unique challenges.
1: Welcome to the Business Class Podcast, where we dive into conversations with alumni, students, faculty, and staff from the University of Dayton School of Business Administration. You'll hear career advice. Conversations about ethical decision making in business and listen to stories from life on the UD campus. Here's your host, Dean Trevor Collier.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Business Class Podcast. Today I'm joined by Elias Simpson, who currently serves as the president of Motive Care Mobility. Motive Care is a healthcare service company that provides non emergency transportation, personal care, nutritious meals, and remote patient monitoring. Thanks for joining me today, Elias.
0: Thanks for having me, Trevor. I appreciate it.
2: So, I'd I like to start our conversation by giving our audience some further insights into motive care and, and your role as president of motive care mobility. Then, maybe we can go back to your college days and, and follow your career up to the present day. So, could you please give us an overview of motive care and tell us more about the mobility decision, division that you oversee?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, uh, Care is a, a leading healthcare services provider. Um, we're, we're actually really unique in that we started out as a non-emergency medical transportation company um, focused on providing uh, non-emergency medical rides for folks who are mostly on Medicaid, um, but also Medicare. who need rides to their dialysis appointment or maybe some other type of appointment. We do mental health, substance abuse, some other things. Um, but over the years, we've grown and recently we acquired um, some additional businesses, uh, the largest of which is our, our personal care business, which we, we provide in-home caregivers for those those in need. So again, not, not medical care, but for those who need help with baths and meals, um, things like that. So we have over 20,000 caregivers. Um, we also have a meal delivery business, and then we do remote patient monitoring, which um, we, we often describe as uh, the I've fallen and I can't get up commercials. It's, it's, it's that, but it's deeper. Um, it's, it's much more uh, in depth than that. So we are the largest in the transportation space and we're um, the first or second largest in both the personal care and monitoring space as well. And we're the only one who brings all of those assets together. So our, our, our goal is really becoming kind of a one source of all of those supplemental benefits um, for those, uh, those members of patients who need it most. So um, we do you know, over 30 million rides a, a year on the transportation side. Like I said, we have over 20,000 caregivers and over 250,000 devices in homes um, across the country. Wow, that's impressive.
2: Most of your previous experience was in logistics and, and transportation sectors. <laughs> Obviously, there's a component of that in, in, in your new role, but you're now also working in, in healthcare. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your transition into a, a health
0: services company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that that's, that was a big transition, right? So for me, my background has been mostly kind of traditional supply chain, whether it be manufacturing, retail, or just traditional logistics. And uh, for, for Motive Care, the, the CEO um, that I report to was looking for, um, so our transportation business is the largest portion of our, of our company. We're about 2.4 billion. The transportation business is about 1.8 billion of that. And historically, um, we, we we lacked that logistics expertise around how to do transportation well. Um, you know, logistics and transportation within the healthcare space is somewhat an afterthought, right? And so, um, as we thought about how we move forward and making sure that we provide the service um, in, in a uh, you know cost efficient manner, but also at a at a very high quality. Um, the, we, we, the organization realized they needed someone who's got that kind of traditional logistics expertise. And, and on the healthcare side, for me, that transition has been interesting because healthcare is highly regulated, very different um, from, from, from where I've been in the past. So I've definitely had to get up to speed on understanding some of the nuances that come into play on the healthcare side. And we do deal with both managed care organizations like United Healthcare, CINCIN, Humana, as well as um, the states themselves. So like we had deal with the state of New Jersey and their managed Medicaid program. So it's, there's a lot of healthcare nuances that I've had to, uh, become familiar with.
2: I I can't imagine. (laughs) It was probably a big, a big lift for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Year in, I still don't know it all for sure. Um, but, but I'm, I'm comfortable.
2: Comfortable, also known as dangerous. You know, you know, yeah, just exactly. enough to be dangerous.
0: Yeah, there you
2: go. <laughs> well, so most of our guests on on this podcast attended the University of Dayton as a, as an undergraduate student. However, you earned your bachelor's degree at the University of North Texas, and and then later found your way to UD when you completed your MBA. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience at at North Texas? What what attracted you to there? And I, I know you played football as well, so would love to hear just a little insight as to what it's like to be a division one student athlete.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, coming out of, coming out of school, coming out of high school, I was looking at different, I played football, played football throughout my, my childhood. And I knew that I wanted to be a, a college football player. So that was a, that was a big piece for me as I thought about what I wanted to do next in my career and, um, or in terms of my education. And so, um, I had a couple of different universities that I was looking at, University of North Texas being one of them. Um, and the coaching staff there just just made me feel at home. Um, location-wise, it was driving distance to where my parents were living at the time. Um, they, were, they were an up-and-coming program, uh, starting to really turn things around in terms of uh, uh, you know, their, their, their ability to win games. And, so, um, you know, and then it's also a very large school, which, I, which, which attracted me at the time. Um, they have over thirty-five thousand students, so it's, it's it's a big campus, big school, and um, but it was definitely the coaching staff, w- which was which was the big draw, and the and the ability to to feel like I was able to, go to contribute, and, uh, and division I football is is tough. I mean that that's uh, it's it's a real. I tell people all the time it's it's basically a, a full time job. I mean you're you know and I think some things people don't realize is it goes it goes year round, right? Like your your spring ball. Is pretty intense. Um, obviously, during the season, you start camp. You're, you're on campus several weeks before all the other students. Um, we were we were a winning program, so that also made things difficult because we'd have the games on ESPN on a Tuesday night, and, and people don't understand the disruption that that a Tuesday night football game can do to your school your school week. But oftentimes, I was taking exams early or having you know they never let you take them late either (laughs) you always got to take them early so I took you know and we played in a bowl game every year I was there so um you know I took I took finals like in a room by myself most years because I was taking them a week or two early so that we wouldn't you know have issues with the bowl game so it's definitely a unique experience and it it presents some challenges but it also um I wouldn't change anything because you you get to do some really cool things and it opened a lot of doors for me and it's the greatest conversation starter I have along with the military. So it's, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been, it was, it was great.
2: I, I played division three soccer. So, you know, I, I, I <laughs> wish you could have played division one. I. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough, but we still had those same challenges you have with, yeah, absolutely. with testing and, and, and missing classes. So we, we had at our, our school, a set number of days and the number of classes you were allowed to miss. So on Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and our coach would always plan our season where we miss exactly the number of days we're allowed to, right? You go all the way up to that point. In yeah. my freshman year, we made the NCA tournament, and, and that was a, a big deal for us, but the faculty were very upset about it because that was going to mean we were going to miss more classes than we were supposed to in a, in a, in a semester, and so they had a special vote on what they were going to do with the, the men's soccer team. And they ended up, they, they left it up to faculty discretion. And so my Spanish teacher told me, Hey, let me know what you decide if you're going to go to that tournament, because it's not going to be an excused absence. Right? And, I mean, you can imagine it as a, as a athlete, as an 18, 19 year old, there was no decision. You know, I wasn't debating whether I was going to go to that tournament or not. Right. I was, I was yeah, going, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to miss your class. But it's funny for me now to sit in the other seat. Right. And I'm yeah. I'm a professor, I'm a professor uh, you know, talking to students who are going to miss for, for athletics or, or other extracurricular activities. So um, it, it's uh, I, I hopefully I have a little perspective that I, I can be a little more compassionate with my students now.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough balance to strike. And um, I think, you know. Luckily, most universities get it right, in my opinion. I think that there's uh, you, you occasionally hear about something where they've maybe given the athletes too much leniency and things like that. But I think I think in most cases, um, the universities get it right. I know UD does, um, so it's it's awesome.
2: So next, you went into the military, is that right?
0: Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, so actually, I, I joined the military. I joined the uh, reserves while I was in college. So okay. um, apparently, playing playing football and running track was, wasn't enough to keep me busy. So I needed to <laughs> occupy my summers on a military base somewhere. So I, so I, I come from a long line of military and uh, my, my grandfather was army, my mother was army. and um, So I, I'd, I'd actually, had I not gone, had I not gotten a football scholarship, my plan was to join the Marines. Um, but then I got the, the, the scholarship to play football and Um, ended up deciding that, uh, while I was a freshman at the end of my freshman year, I decided that I still wanted to do the military. And, um, so I ended up joining and and going to basic training at the end of my freshman, I spent the summer after my freshman year in basic training. And then I did, um, so I joined the air force reserves and did, uh, a total of eight years, six years, active reserve, two years, active duty, um, all together. So I served, throughout college. And then after, after I graduated undergrad, uh, I went on active duty for a while, um, spent some time in Guam and some other places uh, doing different assignments. Uh, was, was deployed for Iraqi freedom and some other things of so supported hurricane Katrina as a part of a reservist effort. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that, that, that is definitely one of my, one of the, one of the things I'm most proud of in, in my life is, is being a veteran and, and having served my country but doing it while playing football was definitely not ideal but <laughs> but it, but, I, but I managed so
2: I, I can imagine that's probably not not the the most recommended option
0: uh to while yeah. playing division
2: <laughs> one football um what can you tell us maybe a little bit about that experience what what from your military experience helped you maybe just as an adult or or in your career
0: since then Yeah, you know, so for me, the a lot of my leadership style comes from the military. Um, You know, and and I and I say that both in learning what good leadership looks like and what poor leadership looks like. To be honest, I mean, I think there's, you know, some great examples of things that the military does well, and you know, teaching you about accountability and integrity and and service before self and some of the values uh, around the military. And and then there's some things that I learned that made me say, okay, I want to go out into the civilian world because, um, the military is very, uh, kind of, um, I can't think of the word right now, but there's a little bit of a, uh, dictatorship to it, if you will, right? Like people have to do what you tell them to because you outrank them. Right. So, um, so for me, you know, being able to influence people, despite your, your title or your, or your rank is, is, is a challenge and it's different than what you can do in the military. Um, so, uh, so, so I was able to take, you know, my experience being in the military, and and one knowing how to how to follow because I think knowing how to follow is what leads you to being a good leader. Um, but also taking some some strong examples of great leadership, and then some examples of where I saw maybe people abusing their power and not leading in the right way to, to help me influence my leadership style. But but I think the thing I took away the most was accountability and integrity. Right, like making sure that you understand this as, as the leader. At the end of the day, you're accountable and, um, and and it's important to always do the right thing, even when no one is looking.
2: I also love one of the earlier one of the other comments you said was service before self. Right. And, yeah, and I think absolutely. that's that's a component we, we try to instill in our students and, and particularly with when we talk about servant leadership. So you you held uh, some additional roles, right? You, you entered the workforce after the military, uh, and then and then later decided to pursue your, your your MBA at the University of Dayton. What what brought you to number one, want an MBA, and, and number two, want an MBA from the University of Dayton?
0: Yeah, so I'll start with the wanting the MBA. So for me, um, you know, as I kind of got my career going around logistics and supply chain, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do coming out of college, but Once I got into supply chain and manufacturing, I realized that eventually I wanted to, at the time I was thinking to myself, okay, I want to be like a VP within um, the the supply chain world. And so, um, you know, I started out as a supervisor, got to a manager level, then eventually like a director, senior director level. um, And and something I saw was that most executives had that MBA and, um, or some kind of graduate degree, whether it be engineering and MBA, whatever it might be. And so for me, I said, OK, well, you know, kind of similar to my, my athletic career, you know, you, hey, if you want to you want to earn a spot, you got to got to get a little faster, get a little stronger. For me, it was like, OK, if I want a spot as an executive someday, I'm going to have to get the get the education behind it. And so I started looking at different universities. Um, I was very I was in like a, a senior director role at the time, I think, when I really started looking heavily. So I was traveling and I was pretty busy. So um So my, you know, so I was focused on programs that had some flexibility and UD, um, stood out, uh, UD stood out for a couple of reasons. One, um, the first person I talked to at the university couldn't have been nicer. (laughs) You know, I think I just talked to maybe like an enrollment person who was giving me some information and just the, the, you know. They just were as nice as could be. You know? And I, at this point, I had talked to a ton of universities. I talked to Syracuse, North Carolina, the University of Ohio, all these different universities. But, the, but I, the person I talked to at UD was so nice, so kind, so patient, answering so many questions. And so that stood out to me. And I just remember thinking, okay, like this, this looks really good. And then um, as I learned more about the university and the focus on um, the greater good that the university has, and the focus on servant leadership really stood out to me. Um, and I actually took a unique approach to my application process at UD where I basically said, OK, you know, in my application letter, I'm going to tell them the truth and I'm going to say my undergraduate GPA sucks. I was playing football, <laughs> but I really like your university. And I promised you, if you give me a chance. One day I'll make you. I'll make it up to you guys. And and like you know, because I coming out of undergrad, I had a really poor GPA because I just wasn't focused. And you know, so, so there was a lot of universities that wanted me to do all this extra stuff to get in. And, and so I, I wrote. I, I you know, I I, I just really liked the, the the university. I told I told the truth, and the university took me. And I, and I remember um, talking to Scott McDonald, who was the director of the MBA program shortly after, and him saying. Like, yeah, we actually, he's like, I actually remember that. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, but you know, but we're excited to have you kind of thing. And, um, and, and sure enough, it worked out fabulous for me. So I,
2: I don't, I don't actually sit on the, the admissions team for the NBA, but, but I know they do actually read those essays. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I also know we're, we're a pretty veteran friendly university. And yeah. the fact that you were in the military Sort of adds credence to what you're yeah. saying that i i i I've, I've got the work ethic i'm gonna I'm gonna make this happen uh even though despite I, I may not have had the best undergraduate grades so for for those of you out there with uh with low undergraduate grades uh <laughs> thinking about the military it it legitimately changes what your what your resume looks like to to a yeah. graduate school and probably to uh to a, your your different career offerings yeah absolutely. So you were one of the first graduates of our, of our online MBA, something we we refer to as MBA at Dayton. What would you share about that program with individuals considering going back to school for a a graduate degree in business?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think first and foremost, I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day is um, you know, when you think online MBA program, it it was, it's, it's not what the, the program at UD is not what you think of in my opinion. And, so what really stood out to me—it it, it was a challenge, but I loved it—was the fact that all the classes were live, right? Like th- this is not a this is this was not a, a situation where you could just log in over the weekend and watch all the lectures and and you know try to catch up on tests and schoolwork. No, th- this wasn't like that. It was really um, the, the only reason you call it online is because it was virtual, right? But but everything was done live. I mean, and, and so the interaction with the other students, the interaction with the professors, was all live. Um, and, and of course there were some, you know, pre-recorded content, but for the most part, um, everything was live. And I love the fact that you also got the on-campus experience. So, which was a requirement to, to come on campus, do some leadership courses. Um, we went out to Oregon and visited um, Nike and the University of Oregon. So the, the combination of live classes along with, in-person interaction with the university and um, the faculty was was phenomenal. So, for me, um, you know, what I would say is that you know, it's not what people think of when they think of an online um, education, general, in, in, uh, traditionally. And so, that for me is what stood out and what makes the program unique. And then, I think the the you know, I have I tell people all the time, I'm I'm a lot more involved with the University of Dayton and I'm at the University of North Texas because of the experience um, through that MBA, pro- MBA program and how connected I felt to UD through that experience and, you know, time on campus and going to basketball games and touring the, the campus and, and all of that was, was, was fantastic.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was one of the concerns. I was part of the faculty as we were building that program was, was how connected are the students going to be to the university if they're, if they're taking this online? And and that was a big reason why we decided to include that required immersion on campus. So students have to come here and see the physical space and and be a part of our community. But we still didn't know how how well that would connect. And it was interesting. I I don't know if you walked in graduation, but the first year that we had students from the, the online program graduate a higher percentage of students from the online program showed up to walk in graduation than did our on-ground program. <laughs> and so th- those immersions end up building this, you know, incredible bond for the students. And, and it's, it's really blown me away how much students who don't live in Dayton and, and haven't spent a ton of time here really connect with the university.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I did walk actually. <laughs> and uh, my family came out and everything. And it was a, uh, grandmother flew out from California and all kinds of stuff. So we, we made a whole thing of it. And, and that was actually really cool too, because, you know, you got to interact with the, with the other students on graduation day and all that. So it was, it was great.
2: Are there any courses or professors from the MBA program that, that you would point to as, as having helped you uh, achieve career success uh, and, and full disclosure for our listeners, <laughs> Elias was a student of mine. Yeah. Right, so obviously, me and, and my course would be top of your list, but let, let's allow <laughs> some, some space for other faculty members or yeah. Other courses.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, I, I definitely there was a, like I mentioned earlier, Scott McDonald was the director of the program at the time, and um, he and I actually spent a lot of time together just on the phone and other things, and um, so he was great. Um, uh, Elizabeth Eichler was one of my professors, and uh, I just remember her and I having a lot of really good conversations. I took her marketing course. And just having some, she gave me a really good opportunity to share my real life experience with the rest of the students in the program, um, which was really cool. Um, Dr. Inns, Harvey Inns was one of my professors. Um, in terms of classes, uh, there was, you know, obviously the leadership immersion was was probably my favorite thing, but there was also a couple of classes around operations leadership that I thought were really good. And then um, there was a class and I, I don't remember the name of the class, but it covered everything from like corporate culture to mergers and acquisitions um, and that might've been the class you taught even, but, um, but, but, I, but I, one of the things that, one of the things I really liked and, and I, I visit a lot of universities today and I'll talk to them about their, you know, what they can put in their curriculum. one of the things I always tell them is, you know, UD actually covered corporate culture in one of their MBA courses and, and, and why politics and all of that exists in a corporate environment. And, you know, I was living it at the time and I hadn't really embraced it in my career and then kind of learning it academically helped me to think about it differently, um, which which I feel really helped me. Um, throughout, yeah, I think career.
2: the course you're referring to there, we call it the principled organization. It's, it's one yes. of the core courses. In the, in yeah,
0: the absolutely. Yeah, that was that was definitely a, a critical course for me.
2: You now serve on our, our business advisory council. So it's an advisory council that helps me as, as the dean. Um, and, and while I know you don't know everything about our undergraduate programs, you've now kind of got an inside look at what happens <laughs> with the school of business here at, at UD. How you how can you compare or can you compare what you know about UD with what you experienced at the University of North Texas?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think for one, um, you know, I, I just mentioned earlier I feel a lot more connected to UD, but I think for me, um, UD really focuses on real life experience for the students. Um, you know, obviously everybody knows about um, the, the live stock trading and, and things like that. But there's also the other flyer enterprises and the school, the, the student businesses. Um, I didn't see anything like that at North Texas. And as I visit other campuses today, I, I, I still don't see that. I visited Florida AM University and they have a, a couple of great programs, but a lot of what I was advising them on was things I saw at UD in terms of the sales, the competitions, the fire enterprises, the amount of um, internships and the way that the university handles the internship program. Um, because the, the real, the point of college is to set students up for their career success. And, and that's what UD is focused on. Um, but also UD makes sure that the students are enjoying their experience along, along the way. And then I think probably the biggest thing UD does differently is what I said earlier around that focus on doing things the right way and, and with the greater good in mind is, is is really unique. So I think for me, um, and I've probably said this to you before, I think when you get somebody who com- who's coming out of UD, you not only know that they're going to be qualified and educated, but you know that they're going to, you know, go about their business the right way, um, which which is a big deal.
2: Yeah, I think we were sitting around at, at one of the meetings of the Business Advisory Council, and, and I think it was you said, what's yeah. unique and, and common about all successful business leaders? It's that they care, right? And what's unique and common about all graduates from the, of the University of, Bus- of Dayton it's it's a it's that they care and they understand that they've got empathy and and they're trying to do things the right way. So yeah, I I appreciate you saying that. We we say that we do that, but it's great to hear uh, somebody who who's gone through one of our programs say that they they got that out of the program as well. Yeah, absolutely. So after you finished your MBA, you know, you talked about wanting to to kind of climb climb that ladder, move into an executive seat. You did that pretty quickly and, and became. <laughs> yeah. Became the CEO of, of Radio Inc. Uh, before moving into your, your current role at, at, at MotiveCare. Radio is an e-commerce company based in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, that provides order management, payment processing, order routing, fulfillment, and analytical services for a number of large companies. What was the biggest challenge when you assumed that, that top role at Radio?
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was telling somebody that the 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 lonely at the top thing is real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's the first time in your career that you don't have a peer. Right. And so um, that, 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 that creates some unique challenges. Um, you know, and for me, to your point, I, I I got there pretty quick. I was still pretty young at the time. I think I was 38, 37 years old at the time that I that became CEO of radio. And, and it was a large company over, over, you know, 25,000 employees and, you know. billion company. Um, so, so I think for me, there was a couple of challenges. Like I said, I I think, you know, being, being in that seat and feeling a little bit alone was, was definitely one. And, and, uh, you know, where do you seek advice? Where do you seek counsel? So, so I had to figure that out. Um, and then I think also, uh, I was leading functions that I had never led before. So the other thing about being CEO is that you, you take over and, you know, I've been an ops guy most of my career, um, but now you own HR, you own finance, you own all these other things, and so having to lead a CFO, having to lead a CHRO, um, a general counsel, uh, when you're not, <laughs> you know, you're not a lawyer, you're not a finance person, um, was definitely a, a bit of a transition. And and for me, that's where the MBA comes into play for sure. Is is you get that you get that exposure and you understand business. Um, and, and so that was helpful. And then, and then for solving for kind of a, you know, who you seek counsel and advice from? That's where things, you know, for me, I sought out a lot of mentors and co- connected with other CEOs connected to some other organizations, um, and really tried to leverage, uh, you know, others who had been in a, in, in a similar seat to, to, to get their perspective on, on what I should be doing. Um, so, so that was, so, so that was, that was really helpful, but that, but definitely those two things of, of kind of doing a lot of stuff you've never done before, and leading some areas that you maybe don't have, where you're not a subject matter expert, and then having to kind of be that sole uh, accountability. <laughs> so, and you're still, you know, I reported to a board of directors, so you still have a boss, but but you don't necessarily have peers, right? And that and that and that's a little bit uh, a little bit more unique. So
2: how how did you find those those individuals that you could you could seek counsel from? How did you find those other other presidents and CEOs? Yeah,
0: yeah, different means. So I actually found actually one of my uh, professors at the University of Dayton was a CEO. He was an adjunct professor, and so um, I talked to him. And then I had um, I had folks who were customers of mine, uh, either present or past, that I reached out to. Uh, and, then I, and then I ended up joining uh, a YPO organization, a president's organization, um, and then also just, you know, even things like the, the, the business advisory council at UD and connecting with other folks who've been presidents and leaders um, in, in their organizations and being able to seek advice and counsel from them. So, um, so I, I took advantage of any and every networking opportunity I could get and, uh, and made sure I made those connections.
2: I always wondered why you said yes when I asked you to be on the Business Advisory Council. Now, <laughs> now I know. <laughs> in your in your and just so the listeners know, I'm kidding. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, Elias Elias has a deep passion for UD and and has been a very committed member. We're really excited to to have him on yeah. our on our council. In your role today, what's something that keeps you up at night?
0: Yeah, healthcare is complicated. Um, you know, <laughs> that's 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 probably the thing that keeps me up. Right. So we are, we are really focused on addressing the social determinants of health, right. And, and, and creating health equity, um, and making sure that those who don't have, um, the best access to care, we, we start eliminating those barriers. Um, but there's a lot of challenges to doing that. And so, um, you know, that, that, that in and of itself keeps me up at night. And when you make a mistake in our business, it can be really, really, um, Impactful, if you will, right? Like, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, the people we're moving to their appointment desperately need to get to that appointment for a variety of reasons. So, a mistake can be uh, can be pretty costly. So, uh, you know, as we think about trying to make sure we deliver service at the right quality and um, that we're not missing trips, not missing appointments, and that we're, we're, we're providing a service, it, it's it's a challenge. And then, and then, and then, trying to do something that's not really been done before. Of bringing services together, uh, uh, you know nobody's done this kind of one-stop shop for for supplemental benefits. So, uh, putting that model together is definitely a challenge. Um, so th- those would be so. I, so I know I named a couple of things there, um, but but the reality of it is that you know. The beauty of what, what, I, what I do today, and, and, and honestly, I would credit UD quite a bit for this, is I thought about what I wanted to do next in my career. I wanted to take what I do well in terms of leading a business, leading people, understanding um, you know, logistics and supply chain, and do it for a good cause. And I said, if I could do that, that was the home run. And so to be at an organization where I'm able to do good for, um, society, if you will, um, is a big benefit. So, so even when, you know, you mess up, you have to remember that, you know, we do, like I said, we do 200,000 plus trips a day. So even when we miss two, there's 198,000 people that we got to their appointment on time and, and got taken care of. So, so that, so that definitely helps.
2: So you, you probably answered this already, but I want to, I want to ask it anyway, just to see yeah, if, you, if you come up with anything different. What, what's the most exciting thing
0: you're working on at motive care? Yeah. So, I mean, the most exciting thing is just, again, you know, so outside of transforming the, the organization as a whole and bringing these services together, specifically within the mobility division, we are really trying to modernize non-emergency medical transportation. So, you know, I mentioned in the earlier in the call that, uh, Healthcare logistics has kind of always been an afterthought, right? So, you know, we, the experience you get with Amazon or Uber or Lyft is not necessarily what you would get if you were trying to use medical emergency transportation. So, but that's where we're headed. So, uh, we have partnerships with Uber and Lyft and others like them. They do; um, they're our largest partners on the transportation side today. Whereas they did, we didn't use them at all four years ago. Um, we're, we're looking at what we can do to move towards more of a digital first um, you know, app driven experience versus manual processes. So that, that's what I'm most excited about is, is taking the, an industry that's historically lagged well behind traditional transportation uh, and, and, and modernizing it and giving, and giving the members and patients an experience that they would get if they were trying to catch an Uber to the, to the restaurant, or if they were trying to book a reservation on open table, um, we, we want to give that same, type of experience. Uh, and not everybody can do that, right? Like we have members who are 90 years old and don't have a cell phone. And so we need to be able to meet those members where they're at as well. But um, for those who can have that digital experience, we want to make sure we provide that. That's awesome.
2: Do you have any advice you would share with, with current students or, or recent alumni as, as they're sort of starting in their careers in business?
0: Yeah, I have a lot of different things, but <laughs> I'll try to keep it brief. Easy um, question. You know, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, think the, uh, you know, I think there's two things that I would say if I was just to kind of narrow it down to two is, is one, um, you know, put in the work and, and manage your career or someone else will is definitely something I always say, right? Like you, you have to don't wait for somebody else to do things for you. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it really is, uh, the ball really is in your court when it comes to how you uh, manage your career, your education, et cetera. Like for me, you know, as I look at how I've gotten to where I'm at in my career, it was, um, you know, taking those chances to go get the NBA, taking the chances on, you know, relocating for a job or whatever it may be. So I, I think, um, you know, being willing to put in the work um, is, is, is extremely important because otherwise things just, things just don't come easy. Um, so I think that's really important. And then I think find something you love. Um, because, uh, you know, work becomes a really big part of your life. Um, and so if you're not doing something you love, then your then your life takes a a hit as, as a result. And and I've been in jobs that I didn't love and that can be pretty deflating and impact the rest of your life. So I I think finding something you're passionate about is, is extremely important.
2: Yeah. We, we like to talk about vocation a lot at at UD, right? Find your vocation. business can be a calling. And, and find something you love and you're passionate about. And then it it, it doesn't feel like work. Uh, although, right. It is, it takes time, <laughs> right. It takes you away from other things, no matter what it is. But, but if it, if it feels, if it feels, uh, fills a passion and, and helps you feel better about what you're doing to contribute to the world, then, then uh, yeah. it's a lot easier to, to get up and, and leave your, leave your family or uh, leave your home and, and go, go to the office.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Elias, is there anything else you'd like to share with us or, or any questions you have for me?
0: No, no. Again, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Um, I think you're probably coming up on a, your first full year as as dean, so um, you're doing a great job. And uh, I think we're all really really happy to have you there. And uh, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share a little bit about myself. And um, this was awesome. So so thank you.
2: Well, thank you for the, thank you for the compliment, and and thank you for taking time to to chat with me today. Uh, you know, that you, you offer a, a different look at UD from a, a non-undergraduate, <laughs> you know, a grad school perspective, but uh, somebody that, that's still intimately knowledgeable about the university. And, and, you know, we should get to learn more about the healthcare services industry today, which was, uh, which was exciting. So I look forward to seeing you at our, our next advisory council meeting. Yeah, um, and I, I hope our listeners will join us for the next episode of the business class podcast. Go Flyers.
1: Go Flyers thanks for joining us for the business class podcast if you'd like to engage with us further please follow us on social media our instagram and facebook accounts all use the name U dayton sba you can also email the dean's office with questions or suggestions for future podcasts at sbadean at udayton.edu no matter where you are on your career path we are proud that you're part of our dayton flyer family